0: Seven eight, Philippians chapter 1 page 1178 to so that reading that Jill read for us a little bit earlier in the service Philippians 1 and then as we find that in the Bible let me pray for us that uh, the Lord would speak to each one of us through it this evening let's pray together Lord reign in me reign in your power over all my dreams and in my darkest hour Lord we pray that you'd help us to understand what it means for you to reign in us We're, we assume it means many things but may we understand the importance of gospel proclamation and how that is a, a response to you reigning in us this evening and may we be changed as a result of understanding and reading your word And we pray it for your name's sake. Amen. Well, Philippians chapter 1, there in verse 18, Paul says, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. The important thing is that Christ is preached. I love reading good autobiographies and what makes an autobiography good for me is honesty. In fact, Dave and I were talking about it uh, before the service began because I brought brought this one along with me um, this evening. John McEnroe's autobiography, Serious. Have you read it? I love playing tennis. Uh, That's one reason why I uh, love this autobiography. The other reason is because um, he's so honest. It is such a good read. As you read this, It becomes clear for McEnroe the important thing in life for him was winning. He admits to being a driven man. Listen to what he says as he looks back at what was undoubtedly a very successful career, possibly one of the most successful tennis players in the history of the game. Yet he says this, I'll confess it, I feel I could have done more. There are nights when I can't get to sleep for thinking about the Australian Opens i passed by when I was at the peak of my game and always felt I'd have another chance. The French Open that I had in the palm of my hand then choked away. I can practically hear you saying, come on McEnroe, you're rich, famous and healthy. You have a loving family and and a more than comfortable life. You've done amazing things and been to amazing places. Things and places most people can't even dream of going to. Why not just relax and enjoy what you have? Here's what I'd say back to you. I'm working on it hard. But at the same time, I'm a servant volley player. My style is, as it always has been, to move forward, always forward. My standards for myself are, as they've always been, extraordinarily high. Read on and it becomes clear that for McEnroe, anything less than being number one, number one in the world, just won't do. Oh, there are other things that are important to McEnroe. Do you remember this bit, Dave? Finding love was really important to him. Sorry, I didn't mean to think of you then, Dave, particularly. (laughs) Why did that? finding love was really important to him being in a rock band was really important to him but uh, there's no doubt what the important thing was it was being number one now you may not be driven to that extent few are which is I guess why few make it to the top of their field but what's the important thing in your life? well let me ask it this way when your mind wanders what did you daydream about? I've just been singing about in all my dreams what do you daydream about? Is it fame and success? Promotion, getting the girl, exotic holidays, haggis, Scotland. Is that what you dream about? Perhaps life has dealt you a bad hand. Maybe you dream about having good health or, or a job or, or perhaps you just want to be happy for once. Well, for Paul, there's, there's no doubt what drove him Again, verse 8, the important thing is that Christ is preached. And those are not pious words with no substance. You know, you or I could write those words and people say, yeah, he doesn't really mean it. Not with Paul. Once Paul had met the risen Jesus on the Damascus road, his whole life was devoted to making Christ known. If you know anything about Paul, you know these words in verse 18 are oozing with sincerity and integrity. The important thing is that Christ is preached. Age should, of course, be a central desire of every Christian. But could we write verse 18 with honesty, with integrity? Paul could. But what makes this an even more remarkable comment is his circumstances. See, as Paul wrote these words, he was in prison. Look at verse 13. He was in chains just because he was a Christian. You'd have thought the important thing for Paul was that he was released from prison. Not least of all, so that he could make Christ known. And what's more, look at what prompted him to write these words. In verse 17, it's clear that some people were preaching Christ in order to cause problems for Paul. But what does it matter, he says. The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. For Paul, the desire to have Christ preach far outweighed his personal comfort or his public reputation. And then look at the end of the paragraph, there again in verse 18, when Christ is preached, Paul rejoices, and because of this I rejoice, he says. Now there's another great test to tell us what is really important to us. What makes your day? What makes you happy? What, what, What makes you want to celebrate? What makes you want to get on the mobile and tell your friends? What you and I rejoice over is a great test of the important thing in my life. Now for Paul it was that Christ was preached. Verse 18, because of this I rejoice. In a nutshell, the advance of the Gospel was at the centre of Paul's aspirations. It was everything to Paul. And of course it should be for any of us who calls ourselves Christian. This should be the important thing for us as individual Christians and as a church family. What else matters really? Strip it all away. And what else really matters? From an eternal perspective, what else is going to last? than that we have preached Christ and that people have heard about him and indeed responded to him what else is going to last our career our love life our bank balance our travel plans none of that maybe you're an unbeliever here maybe you've come and you've come to see what it's all about we're thrilled you've come thanks so much for coming It it, it is eternity that drives Christians. It is getting an eternal perspective that makes us so long to tell people about Jesus. That's what Paul was about. He knew that when you die and face the living God one day, the important thing is that you know you're going to spend eternity with him. If you can get hold of that, you'll begin to understand what we're really all about um, here at Christ Church Forward. For those of us who are Christians, you see, this should be the thing for us as a church family and as individuals. Wouldn't it be terrific if people looked at us and said, the important thing at Christ Church forward is that Christ is preached. Other things are secondary. That's the important thing for them. But desperately, that couldn't be said of everyone in the church in Philippi. If you're taking notes, here's the first point. Some had stopped preaching Christ. As many of you will know, the letter to the Philippians is a letter of great joy. It's a letter of tremendous warmth. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul is thrilled every time he remembers the Christians in Philippi. In chapter 1, verse 5, he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel and in chapter 4 Paul commends the Philippians for their financial support in gospel ministry they really had put their money where their mouth was as you'll see if you want to read chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 they were a terrific church and yet some in the congregation in Philippi had taken their eye off the ball they'd lost sight of the important thing turn with me to chapter 4 and verse 2 See, it comes right at the end of the letter, and, uh, and we tend to just uh, sort of skip over some of these things. But I reckon this is a really key part of understanding the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, I plead with you, O oh and I plead with, plead with Syntyche to, to agree with each other in the Lord." See, here are two women who just can't get along, Euodia and Syntyche. Because of their arguing, some have nicknamed them odious and so touchy. Well, whether you like those words or not, you get the idea. And they're not people who are on the fringes of the church. They were powerful leading women. Who knows what the argument was all about. It may have been a doctrinal dispute. It may simply have been a personality clash. It doesn't really matter what the issue was. Their disagreement was hampering the work of the gospel. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. You see, in verse 3, Paul turns to a third party in the church to help these women to sort out their differences. Yes, he says, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Notice the tense. These women who have contended at my side. These women had been on missions with Paul, organised the Open to Questions course with Paul, been an integral part of setting up the How to Win Your Friends for Christ course with Paul. They had contended at Paul's side in the cause of the gospel, but not anymore. Because they were arguing all the time. Disagreement hinders gospel proclamation. Imagine when these women began to daydream. They spend all their mind time on how to win the argument. How to be sure that everyone thought that they were right. You know how it is when you've fallen out with someone. In your prayers your mind wanders, taken up with the detail of the argument. When you do pray, your prayers are consumed by the disagreement and you're distracted from the important thing and others are too disagreements gobble up other people's time here in chapter 4 verse 3 Paul had to ask Mr Yoke fellow to help these women to sort out their differences you wouldn't believe how much of a Christian leader's time and energy can be spent in, in resolving conflict between Christians and that in turn stops us with getting on with the important thing preaching Christ that's why Paul writes as he does in this letter so just flip back to uh, chapter 1 verse 27 Uh, some suggest this is the key verse I think I'm with them on that chapter 1 verse 27 Uh, and now you'll know why he has to write this whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel see stand firm in the faith stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the gospel if we're not united we won't be able to contend well not as effectively as we could and there is so much contending that needs to be done there's contending that needs to be done in a world that has rejected the gospel and the Lord Jesus And there is contending that needs to be done in the wider church that has largely denied the gospel and the Lord Jesus. There's loads of contending ahead. If we're going to be out that work of contending, then we've got to be about the important thing, we've got to be united. Indeed, uh, chapter 1, verse 27, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel means gospel unity. It means dealing with petty rivalries, putting aside our differences, forgetting our rights and our pathetic desires for status and recognition. Will you join me in praying for unity in this place? I remember when um, uh, Richard Buse retired from All Souls Langham Place uh, uh, just uh, over uh, uh, 15 months ago now, I suppose. Uh, before Hugh Palmer of course came to take the job Uh, one of the things that he said he was so grateful for was that in his 27 years of leadership there had never been a big dispute to cause division in the church isn't that wonderful will you pray for us to be saved from division pray for us to be united on the gospel and to let other things go let them go Pray it so that chapter 1 verse 27 we contend as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by those who oppose us. Because as we contend there'll be enough to be getting on with there and we'll need all our mind time to stand up to those who oppose us. Now don't mishear me. Unity does not come by forgetting gospel truth. It doesn't mean forgetting doctrine. Far from it. Uh, Look again at chapter 4 verse 2. You see, the plea in chapter 4, verse 2 is very specific. I plead with you, Odio, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Very important phrase. Not just agreeing, but agreeing in the Lord, having his priorities. Yeah, we've got to work out what are the non-negotiables. We cannot be united with those who deny the uniqueness of Jesus or who put aside the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross, or who deny the truth of the Trinity, or the inspiration and authority of the Scriptures, or the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and I could go on. Those things are non-negotiables. We must not put those things to one side and simply then say, well, let's all agree. No, we can't do that. But once we've worked out what the non-negotiables are, then we must be sure that peripheral things do not divide because division denies the gospel, a gospel that unites Jew and Gentile and division hinders the gospel and the important thing of preaching Christ. Well then, some had stopped preaching Christ because of disagreement. Secondly, some were preaching Christ out of false motives. Chapter 1, verse 15 Paul says, chapter 1, verse 15, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? But what does it matter? Here then is another problem in Philippi, false preachers, not false in doctrine but false in motive they were, verse 17 preaching Christ out of selfish ambition it's difficult to know exactly what was going on, we're not told but the best option seems to be that Paul's imprisonment gave others the chance to be shakers and movers in the church in Philippi you see Paul was out of the way now and this was his chance or their chance to to be recognised in the church to have a position of influence, to be somebody. So they preach Christ, but out of selfish ambition. That is so easy to slip into, isn't it? Uh, To start an evangelistic group at work so that others at church will be impressed and and speak well of us. Uh, To start a Christianity Explored course at university so that I'll be voted on to the exec next year. It's so insidious. To be more concerned to have a reputation for being evangelistic than to be concerned for people to be saved. Wanting a name and a reputation. Seems that was happening in Philippi. Some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Now with Paul out of the way they could be top dog. And so it suited them to keep Paul out of the way and so they quite deliberately tried to as we read in verse 17 stir up trouble for Paul while he was in chains maybe they thought that as they kept preaching the gospel the authorities would keep Paul in prison because they knew that he was their leader so that was why they preached keep him in prison I can keep a position in the church it is a desperate fact that Christians can be envious of the ministry of others Uh, But, fascinatingly, Paul would not reciprocate. You see, the former, verse 17, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing that is in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Remarkable! Isn't that remarkable? Would you have been able to write that? Would I be able to write that? I'd have expected Paul to say but I'm innocent, or or don't listen to these troublemakers. But no, he says, verse 18, what does it matter? That's the extent to which Christ being preached is Paul's heartbeat. So challenging, isn't it? The one thing Paul did not consider was his own comfort, or his own reputation, or his own bruised ego. The important thing for Paul was that Christ is preached, not that Paul was vindicated or loved or exalted or exonerated. Some of you will know, if you know a bit of uh, Christian history, that uh, the great Christian preachers of the 18th century, John Wesley and George Whitfield, disagreed theologically with each other over some pretty big theological issues. But when Whitfield was asked about Wesley's theology, listen to how he replied. Mr. Wesley and others with whom we do not agree in all things will shine bright in glory. is that a wonderful thing to say of somebody you don't agree with theologically? At another time, Whitfield wrote to Wesley himself. He actually wrote a letter to him and he said this, The regard I've always had for you is still great if not greater than ever and I trust we shall give this and future ages an example of true Christian love notwithstanding differences in judgment well I think they did leave that for us an example of true Christian love that even though they disagreed they spoke well of one another that's a remarkable thing to do isn't that what Paul is doing? George Whitfield wrote, another church leader who disagreed with Wesley's theology was Henry Venn. He also wrote to John Wesley. He wrote this, I have often experienced your words, meaning his preaching, as thunder to my drowsy soul. It is the request of one who, though he differs from you, and possibly ever may on some points, yet must ever acknowledge the benefit and light he's received from your work and preaching Whitfield and Fenn are great examples of people who rejoiced that Christ was preached that was the important thing to them and that's what's going on here incidentally Paul is not saying that motives don't matter of course motives matter I remember shortly after I uh, first uh, started leading Bible studies, it seems uh, some years ago now, as I was leading Bible studies, I became aware of the horribly mixed motives I had when I was doing it. Wanting people to pat me on the back, stroke my ego, tell me how great I was, tell me that they didn't know how the church has existed before I started leading Bible studies, that sort of stuff. I spoke to a wise Christian leader about it who'd been encouraging me to lead these Bible studies and I said to him, you know, I'm going to have to stop leading Bible studies. Uh, my motives are so wrong. We talked about it for a while and he said wisely to me, keep leading the Bible studies but deal with the motives. Well, that's what Paul goes on to deal with in this letter. You see, he points to Jesus as our example par excellence. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now he's pulling out the big guns, isn't he? as that letter was read in Philippi as that part of the letter was read in Philippi don't you think Euodia and Syntyche would have been cut to the heart can you imagine how the self-seeking preachers would have felt when that bit was read now Paul is not saying in chapter 1 verse 18 that false false motives don't matter but rather he is so concerned that Christ is preached that he'd rather Christ be preached out of false motives than not at all and even if it causes him harm and here's the challenge for us will you join me in praying that the important thing for us here at Christ Church Forward would be this very thing that Christ is preached so that when others in Sheffield are preaching Christ we'll rejoice and students here when you see other groups at university preaching Christ rejoice Even if they're not part of your group. Ah, we mustn't be naive. Not everything that goes in the name of Christ actually preaches Christ. We must ask the question, is Christ being preached? But when he is, we should rejoice in that ministry. Even if the way Christ is preached is not our way, or the motives are not pure, if Christ is being preached, rejoice. Will you join me in praying that we would rejoice when we see other churches growing? That we wouldn't envy them? Or see them as rivals? Even if they have it in for us? As indeed these people did for Paul. Pray that we would be more interested in building God's kingdom than building our own little empire the important thing is that Christ is preached some had stopped preaching Christ because of disagreements some were preaching Christ out of false motives because of selfish ambition and thirdly sometimes difficulties enable us to preach Christ look at chapter 1 verse 12 now I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel as a result it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Now Paul was put in prison just because he was a Christian. And here he says not only is the gospel advanced despite my imprisonment but Paul says because of my imprisonment the gospel has advanced and that's happened in two ways first the fact that Paul was imprisoned meant that he was meeting unbelievers that he wouldn't otherwise have met every palace guard that came to guard Paul got the gospel can you imagine standing next to Paul for more than five minutes you get the gospel that would never have happened had Paul not been imprisoned so he rejoices I think of a friend who was uh, diagnosed with cancer this time last year. She's been very ill. She spent much time in hospital. She's still poorly. And every time I see her, she's told me about the gospel conversation she'd had with staff and patients on the ward. And she's full of it. You can see it on her face. There's no question that, verse 12, what has happened to her has really served to advance the gospel. Sometimes difficulties serve to advance the gospel because we meet unbelievers that we might not otherwise have met and then secondly Paul's imprisonment encouraged others to be more courageous in preaching Christ that's verse 14 because of my chains most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly it's not the way we think it would be is it we think that when Christians are persecuted other Christians keep quiet the truth is quite the opposite The first whiff of persecution gives real backbone to genuine Christians. I know it in my life. Do you know it in your life? At All Souls Church, where I've just come from, we would have a prayer gathering every couple of weeks. And we'd always have one little slot at the end of the prayer gathering where we'd pray for the persecuted church. Somebody would do a little bit of investigating and find out some some details about the persecuted church somewhere in, in, in the world. And so we'd hear of individuals who'd been imprisoned and tortured because they were Christian. Separated from their families. Some even killed. And every time it would spur me on. Every time I, I, I'd have to repent that i have been so slovenly. And I'd think to myself, I have to be more courageous in my own evangelism. Has that happened to you? I think of two friends of mine. One who's been seriously persecuted at work because he's a Christian. He's a fairly top job in the NHS and he he preaches Christ fearlessly. Yet, Yet let me say, in case you get the wrong idea, with great winsomeness. And he's brought many to Christ over the years. But because he's a Christian and fearless, he is hated by those he works with and so for a second time he's been suspended from his job while investigations have been going on into his professional practice and the whole process is very hurtful for him it's very costly for him, not not financially, just for him personally last time he was cleared by the medical council because they could find nothing against him and I suspect the same will happen again whenever I think of my friend it spurs me on to be more courageous myself If he's prepared to go through that, then surely I should be too. And I think of another friend, a clergyman, who stood up for gospel truth in these recent days. And the Church of England in his area has dragged his name through the mud and threatened him with all sorts of actions that are totally out of order. And every time I think of that dear gospel brother, it makes me determined to be more fearless in standing for Christ myself. That's verse 14. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Do you see, sometimes hardships serve to advance the gospel. And that is such a challenge for me and it will be for us in the years ahead. You see, we can pray for the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus to reach forward and influence Sheffield and to have an impact in Yorkshire. But as we pray for the gospel to advance, my problem is that I want it all to happen without any cost to me. But friends, that isn't going to happen. So we've got to have a theology that shows us that hardship is often the catalyst to gospel proclamation. I'm reading the Acts of the Apostles in my quiet times at the moment, and I've been struck over the last weeks that it is persecution time and again it is persecution that moves the gospel on and out from one area to another otherwise people would have stayed where they were if we're really concerned about the gospel we've got to be ready for persecution for hard times it's going to happen so when it comes let's have a theology in place that tells us that hardships actually help to get the gospel out the important thing is that Christ is preached and we've seen here three things that will stop us from being about the important thing. One, being distracted, getting involved in disputes, two, being jealous of others, wanting to protect our own reputation, three loving our own comfort, not seeing that that, that difficulties help the gospel to advance. When we daydream, let's daydream about proclaiming Christ to our friends about reaching Sheffield with the gospel, about being prepared to do something costly to reach the huge conurbations in Yorkshire that are a gospel wasteland. Let's dream about those things and turn those dreams into prayers and beg the Lord to turn our prayers into action that we may rejoice when Christ is preached because that is the important thing. Let's pray together. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice. Our loving Heavenly Father, we ask you for unity in this place. We beg you to save us from division. May we be united on the gospel and on gospel truth so that we can contend as one man in one spirit for the faith of the gospel. We pray that Christ being preached would become everything for us, so that we rejoice when we see churches growing, when we see gospel, the gospel being proclaimed, that we wouldn't envy others or see them as rivals, that we'd be more interested in building God's kingdom than building our own little empire. And we pray that we'd be prepared to suffer personal loss and discomfort for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed in Fullwood, in Sheffield, in Yorkshire and the ends of the earth. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.